So let's turn to Matthew 22, continuing on in the studies of Matthew. Matthew 22, verse 15. And the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error, because you do not, see, do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all in church this morning. It's great to be in Matthew's Gospel. Looking forward to opening up this chapter with you. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Our great Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is uh, to know Jesus, uh, to know the real Jesus as you've revealed him uh, in your gospel here in Matthew's gospel. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you've given us this text 
Uh, Lord, help us to understand what you're saying. Help us to know Jesus more fully. Trust him, serve him more. Uh, we pray as a result of today, uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to say today, what's today about? What's this talk about? It's about how very, very impressive Jesus is. Now, every week it's about Jesus, right? I hope you, hope you realise that. Um, but I, I want you to say, particularly in focus, in the spotlight this morning, is something really, really impressive uh, about Jesus. And in particular, Jesus who loves the truth. Uh, let me, let me, I think this is what's going on. Jesus who loves the truth, who speaks the truth, who stands for the truth uncompromisingly. And how do you know Jesus is impressive? I think you see it when you see him in contrast to other people. So as we go through this morning, just think about yourself in that regard, uh, how you go with truth. Think about other religious leaders across the world, other gurus. Uh, think about who's in stark contrast to Jesus, even in this passage, religious leaders of the day. That's, that's where we're heading. Okay, So Jesus facing fierce opposition. And isn't it the case that when you're facing hostility, that's actually the hardest time to speak the truth lovingly? It's actually easy to speak the truth when you're amongst friends. It's actually easy, I would hope, when you're amongst here on Sunday. But can you behave well, speak the truth lovingly, when someone is really coming at you? Uh, that is hard, isn't it? We don't often do that well. They so say that's, that's the measure of your character. We don't often um, pass that test. But Jesus does extraordinarily well uh, here in Matthew chapter 22. So... What's the purpose? Well, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you see he is our leader, the Lord Jesus. He's the one we follow. He's the, the, the very measure of truth, our example, the one we serve. I um, hope you see how exceptional he is today. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope you see how attractive Jesus is. I hope you see this man is worth following. Uh, he is a man of great integrity uh, and he's worth loving. He's worth serving uh, with our lives. So Matthew 22, open it up in front of you and have your outlines there, a bit of a guide. We're starting in verse 15, so the back three quarters of the chapter. And it's very simple structure. There's four sections uh, to the back end of Matthew 22. And the first three are, th are three questions the religious leaders direct uh, to Jesus. And the last section is the, the most important question of all, the question that Jesus directs to the religious leaders and ultimately directs towards us. So let's have a look at those sections. The first one from verse 15, here is the enemies of Jesus who've come together in an unusual alliance. We saw that last week. Um, people who are normally at loggerheads with, with each other actually become friends, Pharisees and Herodians together and they come to trap Jesus in verse 15. Um, they actually begin by flattering Jesus, don't they? Their, their motives are clearly corrupt. That's what Matthew wants you to see. Um, but here's something I actually, I almost missed until someone pointed out to me this week. Here's something they really do understand. They do get right. They do think is impressive about Jesus. Have a look at verse 16. They say, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. 
You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. That is true of Jesus, isn't it? They've actually got something right about Jesus. How, how admirable is that? How good is that? That Jesus is a man of integrity. Uh, he speaks the truth uncompromisingly. He tells us what's right and true about God. And he doesn't pay attention to who's, who's listening. He's not, he's not pressured by powerful people. Uh, he's not swayed by emotion. How good would it be to be like that, to be like Jesus? We're called to be like Jesus, but how good would it be to be like that in regard to Jesus? Someone who is a person of integrity. Someone who teaches the way of God in accordance with the truth. Not swayed by others. doesn't matter you know, whether they're rich or poor, religious or don't go to church. Uh, not, not pressured, not not even persuaded or afraid to be, not afraid to be unpopular, I should say. Uh, that's when the pressure's on, isn't it? Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be like Jesus? Wouldn't that be a good thing to pray for? Please pray for us as pastors that we would be like that. Uh, that's what you need in a leader, isn't it? A person of integrity, but actually all of us need to be like that. Um, the opposite, I guess, or the problem against that is when we compromise the truth when we are actually swayed by others, when we actually are more interested in pleasing people than speaking the truth, uh, Jesus is not like that at all. Uh, Jesus is someone who always speaks the truth in love, and that's what he's going to do here in Matthew 22. Remember, Jesus was the one who said, the truth will set you free. The truth is an incredibly good thing. Uh, stick to the truth, speak the truth. You cannot love someone unless you speak the truth. Uh, that is very foreign concept in our world today but that is what Jesus said and that is true Now, notice the contrast the Pharisees are not like that notice the Pharisees then as we as you, hopefully you saw when was we were reading through they're actually not interested in the truth are they they're actually interested in making their point they've got their own agenda they've come with their own question not that asking Jesus a question is a problem isn't it it's, it's good to ask questions isn't it why do you ask a question you ask a question to know to learn, to, to actually love Jesus more. That would be a really, really good thing to do. Questions are good. Questions help us understand. They clarify. They're a good thing. But what's the problem with the Pharisees' question? It's actually with the wrong heart, isn't it? It's with the wrong motive. Uh, have a look at the question in verse 17. They say, tell us then... What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, that, that's actually a really good question, isn't it? Uh, if you were a first century Jew or, or a first century Christian, well, you might even be thinking that question today in regard to tax and government. But for them, should we pay taxes to the emperor who actually calls himself divine? Uh, if you're a God-fearing person, is that... Is that a wrong allegiance uh, to the emperor? Is that selling out to a false god if you're a follower of the almighty God? But Jesus knows where it's coming from, doesn't he? Look at verse 18. He knows their evil intent. There's something really, really sobering, isn't there, about asking a question to Jesus? You know, uh, you, you won't trick Jesus. You can't pretend with Jesus. 
He knows what you're thinking. That, that is sobering, isn't it? He knows our hearts. He doesn't just listen to our words. He listens to our heart. And isn't that interesting? It's, that's the very reason why he's so compassionate and so patient with questions, particularly when they come from the right heart. Um, he wants to help us. He wants us to grow. But also, he knows when we're being deceitful. He also knows when we're trying to trick Jesus. And so how does Jesus respond to this question? He says straight up, doesn't he? You hypocrites. See, good question, wrong motive, bad heart. Great issue to grapple with, but you're trying to trick me. You don't have an interest in the answer. It's one of those questions, isn't it, that, that requires a yes or a no answer. And if you say yes, you're guilty. If you say no, you're guilty. You know those kind of questions? Have you come across them before? They're tricks, aren't they? Have you had someone trap you like that? Um, let me give you an example. So here's one on the screen. Keep going. Have you stopped stealing from work? That's, that's a rude question, isn't it? Now, if you are stealing at work, can I suggest that you stop? But can you see what it does? It assumes that you are stealing, doesn't it? Have you stopped stealing from work? Uh, if you say yes, well, you did steal. Uh, you stopped, that's great, but you're still guilty. Okay. If you say no... You're currently continuing to steal at work, right? So you're guilty. So whatever, way you, whatever you say, you're guilty. Now, how does, it, how does it work with Jesus? If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, the Pharisees will say, well, aren't you denying God? Uh, isn't your allegiance to God and yet you're giving your worship to Caesar? If Jesus says no, he suggested perhaps the Herodians... I would say you're actually breaking the law. You're committing treason against the state. You're guilty. Uh, you're not holy and godly. Uh, you're a lawbreaker. So Jesus can't win. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't, he doesn't say either, does he? He's not falling for it. Jesus says, give me a coin. Uh, whose image is on the coin? They say Caesar's. And that's, that's what it was. There's a picture of the, of the denarius they used. Here's the head of... Caesar Augustus Tiberius, and it actually said there, the son of the divine Augustus. Uh, so that was true. But what does Jesus say? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So what Jesus is saying, actually the answer is both. Both authorities are to be honoured. The government is to be honoured. You are to pay your tax. And God Almighty is to be honoured. See, whose who's image on the coin? That Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. If you owe tax, pay tax. Uh, that is a good and, and right thing to do. But here's the thing. Whose image is on you? It's the image of God, isn't it? Who do you belong to? Who should you give yourself to? You should give yourself to God. And, and Jesus doesn't even put them in opposition to each other, does he? He's really clear, my kingdom is not of this world uh, it's a heavenly kingdom. And yet, he says, you must submit to government. And Jesus does that, doesn't he? Willingly. Uh, later on, the, apostle, the, the New Testament develops this idea and the apostle Peter puts it very clearly. Fear God 
and honour the king. Okay, Do both. Fear God and honour the king. Or, or Paul in, in Romans 13 says, Obey the government. The government that has been put there by God for your good. And so... It's the same for us, isn't it? We, we actually need to pay our taxes. Now, I don't know whether you... Is that what you want to hear this morning on a Sunday morning? Um, but it's true, isn't it? Christians are people who willingly, lovingly, uh, freely pay their due tax to the government. That is, that is a very Christian thing to do. That is a Christian distinctive through the ages. And that is actually one way that we can honour God in our society by paying our due. And of course there are, there are boundaries to obedience with government. We're not to obey the government if the government asks us to disobey God. Um, at that point we must make a stand. We mustn't obey the government at that point. But paying tax is not one of those. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, we do need to pay our taxes. That is a good and godly thing to do. And, and some of you would have felt the cost of that uh, because... In a world where you can, it's often thought it's not what's right or wrong, it's actually what you can get away with. Um, you, if you make a decision in your heart that I want to obey God and I want to pay the right amount of tax, that can be very costly, can't it? That can actually mean I can't take this job. They haven't asked for my tax file number. They're avoiding tax. They're asking me to avoid tax. Or if you're running a business and, and some of your competitors are skimping on tax and you decided, no, I'm going to pay my tax and that actually affects your profit margins and that actually affects your business and that's costly, isn't it? That's a costly love uh, towards and honour towards God but it's pleasing to God and we need to do it. So look how the, the Pharisees respond in verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So they, they, they're amazed, they think Jesus is profound, but they still walk away. Uh, they, don't, they don't love Jesus enough to want to engage with Jesus. Um, they actually don't want to know the truth, don't they? When you engage, you actually have to accept the truth uh, and maybe accept change. They don't want to do that. Have a look at uh, trap number two. Uh, this time it's the Sadducees, so another uh, Jewish religious sect in verse 23. And we're told a little bit about the Sadducees. Uh, they are those who say, in verse 23, there is no resurrection. Um, and you've heard, you've heard the joke about the Sadducees, have you? Uh, what's the joke about the Sadducees? Who's heard it? Um, it's sad, you see, that they don't believe in the resurrection. That's how you remember it. Um, what, a, what, a, what a kind of... It is sad, isn't it? That, that there is nothing beyond the grave. There is no resurrection. There is no heaven. Um, they also, we also know they, don't, they didn't believe in angels. Uh, so they don't believe in the resurrection, don't believe in angels, and only believed in part of the Bible, only believed in the first five books of the Bible, only believed in the Torah, not the rest of the Old Testament. And so that's, that's an interesting but disturbing religious group, isn't it? It's kind of a pick-and-choose approach to faith in God, isn't it? Let's, let's take out the power of God, okay? Uh, let's pick and choose which parts of God's Word we will trust and believe. Uh, some people even do that today with Christianity, don't they? 
And you're actually left with quite a weak, even impotent God. Uh, I don't know why you would trust that kind of God, but some people still do it. And that's what the Sadducees were doing. And they say, here's the question for Jesus. It's based on a law in the Old Testament. So have a look in verse 24. Um, It's all about, you know, this part of the law where it says, if a man dies without having children, uh, his brother must marry the widow. So marry the, the man's wife who died. Uh, and raise up offspring for him. And so this is what they say. They say, if that's the law, then what about, Jesus, what about if this happens? What if there are seven brothers? The first one marries and dies, uh, has no children. Uh, She marries the second brother, and then he dies. She marries the third brother, and then he dies. Now, by the fourth husband... You'd be a bit concerned, wouldn't you? Would, you? would you marry at that point? I think you'd be going, we need to talk. What's going on here? Um, all the way to the seventh brother. Uh, and finally, that woman dies. And here's the question. In heaven, whose wife will she be? See, with the seven brothers, which of the seven will she be married to? Now, that's an absurd question, isn't it? That is, that is a ridiculous question. Uh, it's kind of one of those, I mean, we, we like to, we, I think it's true, isn't it? It, it? I say it all the time at Simply Christianity, there is no silly question, there's no dumb question, and we need to, that's true. But 99% of the time that's true, but there is that 1% of the time you go, you've actually chased down all these what-ifs, all these hypotheticals to the very end of absurdity, and you're actually not interested in the answer. Uh, you just want to make it all look silly. And that's what they're trying to do to Jesus. Um, You can go on countless what-ifs, can't you, in your question. What about what you're doing with what God has actually said and has actually done? What we do know. Let's focus there. And that's what Jesus gets them back to, isn't it? Because they're they're trying to say, what a joke the resurrection is. See what they're saying? If, If there is a resurrection, Jesus, which they're saying there isn't, is she really going to be married to seven uh, husbands? That's absurd. And if she's only going to be married to one, which one are you going to choose? That's ridiculous, isn't it? And what's the conclusion? See, the resurrection is absurd. The, re- the resurrection doesn't make sense. And so Jesus, Jesus calls that for what it is. Have a look, at really important verse in verse 29. What does Jesus say? He says, you are in error. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That is a very telling response from Jesus, isn't it? You don't hear that very much these days, do you? You are in error. You've actually got it wrong. I mean, even, it seems even to say that politely and calmly today is actually not the done thing, is it? We live in a world where truth seems relative. Um, there are all kinds of different beliefs and views, different interpretations. People will even say, well, that's just your interpretation of the Bible. Uh, all beliefs are the same, well, not for Jesus. Jesus stands for the truth, doesn't he? He says, no, no, you're actually, you are in error. And you're in error for two reasons. One, you don't know the scriptures. And two, you don't know the power of God. And that's the same for us, isn't it? We're going to be in error if we don't actually know what God has said in his word. Uh, if you don't know your Bible, you're probably going to get it wrong in the end 
How do we know the truth? We know the truth from what God has spoken in his word. That's where we need to go, isn't it? That's where the Sadducees hadn't gone. And the second problem is the Sadducees actually doubted the power of God. Who do you think God is? He's not a weak, impotent God. That's the God you've made up. God can raise the dead. Resurrection is not too hard for God. What what does Jesus say? He's the God of the living. The God, and he says, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, they died centuries ago. He's saying, no, no, they're still alive. God is still their God. The resurrection is absolutely part of God's plans and purposes. But they've even misunderstood the resurrection, the resurrection haven't they? They've even misunderstood heaven. So Jesus wants to say to them, the problem's not with heaven and resurrection. The problem is your view of marriage in the resurrection. And notice what Jesus says here. There won't be any marriage in heaven. Did you hear that? There won't be any marriage in heaven. Now, I think we've had five weddings over the summer at the lakes. And there's one next weekend. Great celebrations. Gee, Christians, we honour marriage, don't we? It's a, it's a wonderful gift from God. But Jesus says there won't be married couples in heaven, in the resurrection, in the age to come. There is no marriage. So tell me, what, what do you think of that? Here's, here's two responses. Shock. Oh, we're going to go again. Oh, forward march. There's shock. Excitement. <laughs> Which camp are you in? Are you in the, oh my goodness, I never realised. Or, oh, that's really good. <laughs> um, I did ask Natalie this week, and I won't tell you what she said. <laughs> other than I wanted her to be more disappointed. But there it is. Jesus says, no, no, no there's actually no marriage in heaven. So, you know, the... The idea that Muslims have of the 72 virgins waiting for you, that's, that's wrong. Uh, you're in error. Uh, the idea the Mormons have, you know, they come around knocking on our door, talk about family and marriage that lasts into eternity, eternal marriages. Uh, no, Jesus says you're in error. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's just wrong. There is no marriage in heaven. Now, you've got to ask yourself, just to think about that for a minute, why is that? Well, it's... It's got to do with the whole Bible's teaching on marriage, isn't it? Marriage is good, it's a great gift from God, but it's actually a symbol of something even greater. Now, it's a beautiful symbol, it's a real symbol, it's a symbol to be honoured and loved and cherished, uh, but it's a symbol of the eternal marriage between Jesus and his church. So that's actually the most important marriage that we often get wrong, don't we? That's the one that matters of which the human marriage, for a time, points to that great marriage. Remember last week we saw uh, the invitation to the banquet, the invitation to the wedding of Jesus and his church. Not not your wedding between you and your uh, husband or wife, but the wedding between you, as you're part of the church, and Jesus. And just to press a little bit further, it actually changes your view of marriage, doesn't it? It actually makes you realise... Yes, marriage is a great gift from God, but it's temporary. Uh, yes, marriage is a great gift from God, but it points to something greater. 
And marriage is not to be idolised. It's not the number one relationship. The number one relationship is with Jesus. And that's incredibly helpful, isn't it? That actually takes the burden off your poor partner. I mean, imagine, can you, you cannot live up to that number one relationship. Only Jesus can. And only Jesus will be there into eternity. But if you're, even if you're single, isn't it? It's not my life is lost if I'm not married. It's actually, no, no, my life is gained with Jesus. Uh, for a time, I may not be married, um, but it's not forever. Now, you might be thinking, I actually think mar my marriage is great. Uh, marriage is a great gift from God. Sex in marriage is great. Why doesn't that last into eternity? What is God thinking? Uh, how can that be good? And part of our problem is we've just got a low view of heaven, haven't we? We've actually, you know, you think about it this way. If things are good now in whatever sense, imagine how good they'll be in heaven. It will be extraordinary. It will be extraordinarily good. You will not be disappointed. See, we don't know all the details, but we know that it will be exceptionally good. That heaven is actually a major, major step up. Uh, it's not a disappointment. It's not a step down. Well, what, what, how do the uh, crowds respond? Look at verse 33. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Have a look. Trap number three. Let's move on. Trap number three. The Pharisees are back at it again. Uh, again, testing Jesus. This time it's the, an expert in the law. Uh, look at verse 36, the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, I think, again, this is a very testing question, isn't it? Because the Jewish leaders all thought hard about this question. There's 613 Old Testament laws. Um, we're meant to obey them all. So they thought hard about which ones do you obey first? What's the order? What's the priority? So Jesus, I want to know the answer to you. How would you answer that question? Um, who are you going to side with? Which camp are you going to side with? Are you wise enough to answer this? And so what does Jesus say? He actually gives them an answer that actually reveals they've missed the whole point of the law, haven't they? So what is, what is the greatest commandment? Verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And here's another one. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that, that is what all of the law is about. If you haven't understood that, you haven't understood any law. It is all about loving God and loving other people. Uh, it's all about treating God as he deserves. Uh, he deserves that love and honour with all our heart, soul and mind. It's also about treating other people as they deserve, in the, made in the image of God, precious in God's sight. So that, that's actually what the whole Bible's about, isn't it? Uh, who is God described? He's described as the God of love. 1 John says, God is love. He's the God who loves. See, love is the very centre of him. He's the God who loves us, the unlovable. Uh, it's the God who calls us to love each other. It's actually because we don't do those things, isn't it, that Jesus had to go to the cross. 
It's not that we read those commands and go, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done it all. You actually read those commands and you go, I don't love God with all my heart, soul and mind. I don't love others as I should. Uh, isn't it great that Jesus came to bring forgiveness? That's why he's heading for the cross. But here, all the games that people play with religion, all the religious questions and, and uh, all that kind of thing, totally miss the point, even, even to this day, People are fooling themselves and fooling God. Here's what matters. Two questions. Do you love God? Do you love other people? That's what matters to God. Do you love him? And do you love other people? It's worth, it's worth really thinking about those questions, isn't it? We're going to have a time to reflect at the end. Um, but let me ask you about uh, loving other people. Because that's not easy, is it? Um, and I've been thinking this week about us as a church and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and some of the ways in which we can do that as a church. Now, in one sense, uh, everything we do at church is about love, isn't it? If we're not on about love, if we're not doing it out of love, then we shouldn't be doing it. Uh, we love our community, so we want to invite them uh, to discover Jesus, uh, find out about Jesus, come to faith in Jesus. We want to love each other as brothers and sisters. And one of, the, one of the ways we can do that is, obviously, we gather here on Sunday. But it's also through our growth groups, isn't it? Have you ever thought about growth group? Yes, we're growing in our knowledge of God and our love for God. But growth group's actually about also loving one another, isn't it? You can actually come along to church. Now, please don't do this. But you could, in a larger group like this, and as we get larger, you could come in and out on a Sunday and actually not love anyone, not get to know anyone. But you can't do that in a growth group. See, see what does God say? If you love, here's, here's 12 people to love. Here's half a dozen people to love. Here's four or five people for you to know, to love, to serve. That would be a great thing, wouldn't it? So, yeah, have you joined a growth group uh, for the year? People that you can love, people that will love you. That would be a great thing. Now, there are other ways, aren't there? So our men's weekend away is coming up. And again, uh, there's that. There's also the women's retreat in April. And we often, rightly so, think about those weekends as great weekends to grow in faith uh, and love of God. And that's exactly what we should be doing. But also great weekends to love one another, aren't they? Because you actually get to spend more time with each other. You actually get to... Uh, know one another so that you might love and serve one another. They are a great opportunity uh, to love. So keep loving one another. Uh, that, that is what God loves. Last section, our final section, uh, Jesus has been contending with their question. Now Jesus asks them a question. Uh, he's going to put to them the most, in fact, the most important question of all. Have a look in verse 42. Now what do you think about the Messiah? Jesus asks. Now, there's something odd about that question, don't you think? Uh, what's odd about that question? Jesus is the Messiah, isn't he? He's standing in their very midst asking them, eh, what's the most important question? The most important question is, who do you say the Messiah is? Who do you say Jesus is? Um, whose son is he? The way Jesus uh, enters in. Now, he's asking an easy question on one level because every Jew would know the answer. That's easy. The Messiah is the son of David. 
Now, it's a, li- it's a little bit tricky, this um, part of the chapter, but stick with me. Uh, Jesus is asking uh, about a psalm, Psalm 110, a psalm of David. And he says, in that psalm that he quotes, how come David, talking about his son to come, the Messiah, how come David refers to that son, that Messiah, as his Lord? See what Jesus is wanting them to see? The Messiah, uh, who is Jesus, is not just the son of David. He's also the son of God. He's actually the Lord turned up in the flesh. He's actually the one, as it goes on to say, who God says, I will have all your enemies at your feet. You will be elevated to the right hand of God the Father. That's the future of the Messiah. That's the future of Jesus. Every knee will bow to Jesus. He's the judge. No one will outsmart him. You cannot win against Jesus. Um, Psalm 2 says, what's, your best, what's the best response to the Messiah? Well, the best response to the Messiah is to take refuge in him. Take up his offer of forgiveness. Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, befriend the son, accept his offer of surrender and forgiveness and love because he will, uh, he will place, God will place every enemy under his feet. Every voice against Jesus will be silenced. And can you see that even here in chapter 22, that's what's happening, isn't it? Jesus the Messiah has silenced his enemies. Jesus has his enemies at his feet. They've been humbled, haven't they? So don't, don't feel sorry for Jesus here that he's being given a hard time or he's being judged. No, no. We're being judged. And the way that we respond to Jesus is incredibly important because he's the Messiah. See, that is the most important question, isn't it? Who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? And that's what we're pressing with, pressing people all the time. That's why we do Simply Christianity. Because that is the most important question. Our questions to God are really important. But here is the most important. Who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is the Messiah, then that changes everything, doesn't it? Then there is great hope. There is great mercy and forgiveness and purpose. There is truth. Uh, and eternal life but there also if Jesus is the Messiah is our judge there is the one for whom it's right for him to ask me the question Uh, the one before whom I will be humbled the one before whom I can receive forgiveness that that changes everything doesn't it now as we finish three three things for us to think about this morning as we think about all those issues circling around in Matthew 22, I want to ask you three questions. First one, hopefully is an obvious one. Do you love the truth? That, that's big on uh, the agenda this morning, isn't it, with Jesus? He's uncompromising. He's a man of integrity, not swayed by others. Uh, he speaks the truth. He stands for the truth. He loves the truth. Is that you? And is that you even when it's unpopular? Uh, is that you, are you, do you love the truth even when it's costly, even when you don't like it? It even raises the issue too, doesn't it, of where do you go for truth? And do you go to Jesus? 
Uh, do you ask Jesus the question? Do you ask God the question? And are you listening for God's answer? That's just as important too, isn't it? Uh, questions, as we said, are really, really good. To know, to learn, to grow. But questions with the right heart, isn't it? And a, and a heart that is willing to accept the answer that comes from God in his word. You know that... Um, you know, that kind of question you get or you know, when someone asks you a question or asks for your advice and you, and you just know that they've actually already made up their mind. Do you know that kind? They've already worked out what the answer is. They're, they're trying to justify it. Uh, they're trying to get you to agree. They're actually not interested in the answer. Don't let that be us when we come to God. Let us be open to what God has said and accepting of what God has said uh, in the Scriptures. Two more questions. Do, do you love God? Uh, that is just the highest that Jesus has put up there, isn't it, today? And, and perhaps one way of answering that from today's passage is, do you love the truth? Because God loves the truth. Jesus loves the truth. Do you love the truth? Do you love God? And, and last question, which is also related to loving God, is do you love others? See, to love others is actually to love God, isn't it? That's one of the ways in which we love and honour our great God by loving and serving other people. So I'm going to pray as we think about those questions and ask God for his, for his help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who came, the sinless Messiah uh, the one who was uncompromisingly true, who always spoke the truth, uh, was, was the man, the great man of integrity, not swayed by others. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, that he is like that. Uh, Father, we long to be people of integrity. We long to be people like Jesus. Uh, please help us to love the truth, to speak the truth, to stand for the truth. And Father, please help us as we love you with all our heart, soul and mind. Uh, please keep challenging us in the way that we love one another. Lord, please keep pressing on our hearts um, those who need to be loved. Help us to not think of ourselves but to think of others. Uh, Father, forgive us when we've been selfish and renew us by your Spirit to genuinely love you and genuinely love others. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.